Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I would like to invite you to stay with me. As always, we have 30 minutes of motivation, a lot of inspiration, some education, and we do this without any manipulation. We do not seek to manipulate people. We're not here to hustle you. We're not here to sell you something. We're not here to ask you to join anything. We're simply here to give you accurate information. Information, my prayer is that information would help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you can do that, then you obviously have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan if you want to. You are a product of your own decisions. God gave you a volition, a chooser, a decider. It's inside of you. It's your free will. And you can decide to follow God's plan. That's positive volition. Or you can decide to ignore God's plan. That's negative volition. I can assure you the choice is yours, and I can assure you that our God is a gentleman. He's not going to coerce you. He's not going to make you a little automaton. He will give you your free will. You are free to choose. That's why the Bible says, whosoever, whosoever is anyone, anyone who makes a decision to believe in Jesus Christ, they're free to do that. And anyone is free to take God's word and learn it and use it. This is called equal opportunity and equal privilege. We all have the opportunity to learn God's word equally. And we all have the privilege to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior equally. God gives you that fair chance. And you can say, yes, I am willing to believe in Christ and receive him. Or you can say, no, not at this time. Or no, I don't believe it's true or whatever. But if you do receive Christ as your Savior, then you can say, yes, I want to learn God's Word. I'm willing to take it and learn it. When I say receive Christ as Savior, the Bible simply says, to as many as receive Him, to them God gave the right to become His children, His sons, even to them that just believe in His name. Believing in the name of Jesus Christ is what it takes to be saved. In John, 1 John, actually, 1 John chapter 1, chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, the Bible says, He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. What are we believing? We're believing that he is the Son of God, as he said he was, and this is what the Jews did not believe. They did not believe he was the Son of God. They did not believe he was the Messiah. Many did, but most did not, even though he performed miracles and signature guarantee that he was the anointed son of God, many chose not to believe it. And in Client Nation USA today, many choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the anointed son of God, and many choose to believe not. It's your choice. You have your own volition. You can decide. But if, in fact, you have decided that he is actually who he said he was, and you have believed that and received him as your Savior, then you must also make a decision about what you're going to do in regards to your Christian life. Because after a person believes in Jesus Christ, there are decisions that he must make. And primarily, is he willing to grow in grace? 
That's why Second Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christian growth is essential. And I like to put it this way. You can't grow on pablum. You must grow on real, sincere, genuine food. The writer of Hebrews 5 said you've been a Christian a long time now and you ought to be teaching others, but instead you've fallen back where someone needs to teach you again the very first principles of God's Word and you're like a baby that needs milk. You can't handle strong meat. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. What does this mean? It means there are believers in Jesus Christ who have been saved for many years who cannot digest strong meat. They can't take in-depth Bible study. They get discouraged if the message is over 10 minutes long or over 15 minutes long, and their minds begin to drift and wander, and they daydream. They've never grown to be a spiritually mature believer. What I'm all about in this show is looking for those of you who wish to be spiritually mature believers. Not that I'm a pastor, because I'm not. I'm a simple evangelist. But I can direct you to where the information is, where you can sit under a well-qualified pastor, and you can grow, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's at home in your own kitchen listening to a DVD or an MP3. You can grow, but it's going to take more than a 15-minute sermon every week. It's going to take more than reading a daily devotional by someone who sells you a book on how to have quiet time with God each day. Your quiet time with God each day, as far as I'm concerned, is you sitting under a well-qualified pastor and listening to him teach you the Bible. This is what I do every day, usually an hour every day, listening to a message, receiving instruction, taking notes, and then by faith applying what I learn. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all fail from time to time, and that's a given. So I don't expect anybody to be perfect. Not me. I'm not perfect by any by a far shot. I know my imperfections, but I know that I've learned God's plan, and I know that I am seeking to adhere to that plan or live under divine viewpoint. And that's what God would like for you to do also. Recently, I was in Houston, Texas speaking, and I gave a message to a local church in Houston, Texas, and that message dealt with being a castaway believer, a believer that God has to set aside. Now, this doesn't mean that he loses his salvation. That's not it at all. It means that as far as God's plan is concerned, He or she never fulfills the plan, and so God has to set you aside and find somebody else that will do the job. Yes, you'll go to heaven. Yes, you'll have eternal life, minus a whole lot of rewards you could have had. But because you got distracted and defeated in your Christian life, none of us want to fail in that area. If you consider the Christian life like a race, and Paul uses an athletic metaphor in 1 Corinthians that I want to talk to you about. It's it's a race around an oval track, a 440 they often call it in track and field. Four times around that track is a mile. One time is a 440 race. And if you're going around the track and you start off at the start line and run down to the lower end and go around the curve and then go down the long straightaway and the back straight, 
and then come around the bottom curve and head up the straightaway in the front straight towards the finish line. God wants you to finish the race. Where are you in the race? Have you just started the race? Are you sprinting down towards the, the first turn, or have you already gone around the turn? And are you on the backside headed down the straightaway? Or have you rounded that final turn and now you're headed towards the finish line? This often has to do with your age. How long have you been a Christian? Are you into your 60s and your 70s now? Because if you are, you can see the finish line. There's no doubt about that. Young believers in their 20s and 30s, they're just going around that first curve, aren't they? They haven't even hit the backstretch yet. So this is kind of what I talked about in Houston. Make no mistake about it, Satan will use every resource he has possible, everything, to frustrate your efforts, to get you to step off the course before you finish the race. Many, many times I have spoken in churches, in schools, on the radio. Many, many people have responded. And the question is, where are they now? Are they still in the race? Or have they stepped off the crack? Hundreds of people, hundreds that I've met in churches and schools, to be honest, have been distracted. Distracted by the details in life. Once they appear to get what they want from God, then they get distracted. You know, you know how many people join the gym on New Year's and they say, oh, I'm going to get in shape and, and, and I'm going to do it right this time, and they pay their money and the gym smile, and because after about two weeks, they never see them again, but they got their money. People get bored easily. They're not willing to pay the price. You know, being a mature believer requires a price. Jesus said, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. There's no way about it. And, and without it, and he said, I am a divider. I'm not a unifier. I will divide your house. Once you got saved, once you accepted Christ as your Savior, are you willing to continue to grow in grace? Are you willing to set aside time every day to study God's Word? Are you willing to rebound or name your known sins to God when they occur so you can guarantee that you're in fellowship and you're not out of fellowship under control of your sinful nature? That's the worst place for the believer to live. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, a church full of troubles and problems and all sorts of uh, conflicts, and he trying to get them to remember the doctrine that he taught them. And this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He uses an athletic metaphor to encourage them. Let me read it to you. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one will receive the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for a crown that will not perish, an imperishable crown. Therefore I run, thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, and not like one who just punches the air. I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection lest when I had preached to others, I myself should wind up being disqualified or a castaway. Run in such a way that you can obtain it. Do you know this means you can also lose it? 
That's right. It is possible that you might not finish the race. It is possible that everything God has for you, you never get it because you get distracted. You got distracted by the details of life. You got distracted by your family, by your job, by your hobby, by whatever you wanted. It's amazing what Satan will give you if you just won't finish the race. If he knows that you want to be a celebrity, he'll make you a celebrity. If he knows that you want wealth, he'll give you that wealth. Remember, he is the God of this world. But I can assure you of this, your Heavenly Father, if you're going to grow to maturity, he's not going to give you something that will destroy you. He will give it to you in due time when you're ready, when you have the capacity to handle it, and it won't distract you from your spiritual life. Paul has to write back to this church. This is a wonderful church in Corinth where he spent 18 months, where he went in there to, as a missionary and took a job as a tent maker, supplying tents for those who came to visit the Ithmian games. And oftentimes, as a tent maker, he would rent tents out or make tents and sell them. And he hooked up with two people there in town, uh, and they worked together. He was there making tents with Aquila and Priscilla. Whether or not he led them to Christ, we don't really know. But all three of them were together working, making tents. And then on every Sabbath, he would go into the synagogue and he would teach about Jesus Christ, our Lord, being resurrected, being the true Messiah. Eventually, two people came to help, Timothy and Silas, and they came from Philippi and brought a gift with them, a financial gift. And now Paul was able to set aside the tent making for now and go into the synagogue and teach consistently every day. This created a lot of problems, a lot of problems, because there were many people responding to his message. And many of the leaders of the synagogue got mad about it and tried to prosecute Paul as being a heretic. He had to move out of the synagogue and move into the house of Titus Justus. And there he continued to teach, so much so that even Crispus, the president of the synagogue, and all of his family became believers in Jesus Christ. Yes, there was a lot of success of the gospel in Corinth and a lot of persecution, so much so that they took him before Galileo to prosecute him as a heretic, but Galileo would have none of it, threw it out of the court. And Paul stayed there quite a while, like 18 months. Once he left and once he went on his missionary journey over into Ephesus, he heard about the problems that were going on back in Corinth. That's when he wrote this letter, and that's when he used this athletic metaphor. There were problems of secretarianism and partisanship and immorality and lawsuits and marriage and divorce and stumbling blocks and judging other believers. All of those things took their toll in the church in Corinth. And Paul, being a master of metaphors, he used them all the time. He used a warfare metaphor to illustrate the Christian life in Ephesians 6. He used an architectural metaphor to illustrate the Christian coming to maturity in Ephesians 3.18. He used an agricultural metaphor to illustrate the labor-intensive ministry that he was in. And then he used the athletic competition metaphor to illustrate the passage that we are studying, 1 Corinthians 9.24-27. He also used that same athletic metaphor in 2 Timothy 2.5. Listen as I read it to you. 
and also if anyone competes as an athlete. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There are rules in the Christian life. Do you want to hear that well done, my good and faithful servant? Do you want to get that crown of righteousness? You must compete according to the rules. Well, what are the rules? It's called the protocol plan of God. Under the concept of the protocol plan of God, a right thing must be done in a right way. And that means, number one, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you must stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And number two, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior. You must do, as the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, where would you be ashamed? Well, you would be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ when you see all of your good deeds burned up as wood, hay, and stubble, and you have no crown. And that happens when people do not pay attention to the protocol plan of God because they do all the right things like prayer and going to church and giving and singing and mission trips, but they do it in the wrong way. They don't do it under the filling of the Holy Spirit. They don't even know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they assume that the Christian life is just a series of being sweet and nice and doing good things for people. Listen. That's part of the Christian life, no doubt about it. But it's much, much more than that. It's a spiritual life, and it requires some spiritual insight. You must be filled with the Spirit if you want to fulfill God's plan for your life. And problem-solving device number one on the flat line of your soul is how you are filled with the Spirit. It's called rebound. Rebound. When we sin, we rebound. We confess our sin to God. And he's faithful and he's just to forgive us. Let me tell you something. There is nothing worse than devoting your life to something that in the end would make no difference anyhow. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I keep my body under subjection. Least after I preach to others, I myself would be disqualified. Cannot think of anything worse than for salt to lose its flavor. Luke 14, 34, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Without doctrine, without the correct word of God in your soul, without you moving forward and growing in grace and becoming a mature believer, you are flavorless. The Bible says it's neither fit for the what? Land or the dunghill. Men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. God doesn't want to have to set you aside. God, I'm sure, has a wonderful, marvelous, fantastic, phenomenal plan for your life. What have you done about it? Have you ignored it? Have you been too busy to even research what the Word of God has to say to you? Have you fallen into the trap of being a uh, legalistic, ritualistic Christian? You know, ritual without reality is meaningless. You think God is impressed because you don't smoke? You think God is impressed because you don't drink? You think God is impressed because you go around and tell everybody, hello, brother, hello, sister? 
Do you think God is impressed if you don't know his word and understand his word and you are not learning and growing? Listen to what Jesus, our Lord, said. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's not going to ask you to do something you can't do, but he is going to tell you this, study to show thyself approved. And that's a mandate. That's not a request. Unless you learn God's plan, you will spend hours doing worthless deeds that will amount to nothing more than wood, hay, and stubble. Unless you learn God's plan, you will be distracted by the devil so easily. He will lure you away from it so easily that you will find your spiritual life being set aside as you pursue the details in life. As you pursue your, quote, dream, and in the end, you'll do something that makes no difference anyhow. Your time on this earth is for God's plan. That's all it's for, his plan. In Luke 14, so then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up his own possessions. You want to follow Jesus Christ? Priority number one, his will for your life. That doesn't mean that you have to give up your car and give up your home and go live in the jungle. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is there's a priority, and the priority is his plan first. See, God called you for a reason, and the reason is between you and him, but the question is, will you finish your task? Or in the end, will you be replaced by somebody else that will? In 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us, and God called us to be holy, not because of what we had done, but because of his own plan and his own kindness. Did you know that Saul, the king of Israel, was fired by God and replaced by David? In 1 Samuel 15.23, because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king over Israel. That's right. God replaced him. Did he go to heaven? Sure he did. Did he fulfill God's plan on this earth for his life? No, absolutely not. Suffering loss of rewards, having shame at the judgment seat of Christ, is that not reason enough for you to want to finish the race you started? You believed in Christ and you accepted Christ and now all of a sudden, through all of the distractions, your family, your, your money, your home, your car, whatever, your job, your community, God's plan is on the back burner, isn't it? You haven't been adhering to that plan, have you? You find a little bit of time for God on Sunday, and that's about it, and you don't have time to study every day. You never come to the place of occupation with Christ, which is problem-solving device number 10. If you never come to occupation with Christ, you will never fulfill the objective of why you got saved to start with. That was God's plan. Losing all rewards, having shame at the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation 3.18, the shame of thy nakedness. How do you lose your momentum? How do you slide into being an unproductive believer? Well, there's a couple of passages that the Lord taught using parables about this. One of us in Luke 13, where he taught about the unproductive fig tree. 
And the other is in Luke 12, where our Lord taught about the ineffective servant leader who didn't watch for the master's return. That unproductive fig tree is to be cut down and replaced by one that will bear fruit. And the lazy servant leader of Luke 12 is the one who failed to wait and watch for the master's return. And in that parable, Jesus said he would face severe discipline and loss of reward when the master came back. Do you want to hear a verse that should get your attention? Luke 12, 48, for unto whom much is given, of him much is required. And of whom men have committed much, of him they will ask more. Just how much has God given you? He gave you his spirit. He gave you his word. He gave you his son on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin. He has a plan and a destiny for you. He has given you spiritual gifts. There's so much that God has given you. And there is much that he requires of you. But before you can do any of it, you must grow in grace. And you must understand his plan. Or you will wind up doing a lot of stuff that you think you're doing for God. And in the end, it's going to wind up being nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. Because you did the right things. But you did them in the wrong way. You want to keep yourself in the game? The first thing is don't drift from grace. Don't move away from grace. Saving grace, living grace, dying grace, surpassing grace. In 2 Timothy 4.3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and that time is today for sure. People don't want to listen to this sort of stuff. They don't want to grow. They don't want to learn about their grace assets. They don't like saving grace, for by Grace are you saved through faith. They don't like living grace where God supplies all of your needs and you don't have to get out and hustle. You don't have to sell stuff, raise money, do all that stuff. Just let on God supply the need. If God pays for it, then he's in it. Same thing we do on this radio show. You don't hear us ask for money. We have to pay to get these station hours, but hey, if God's in it, he'll pay for it. It's just that simple. Don't drift from grace in your life. Learn God's problem-solving devices. Learn grace orientation, what it's all about. And then don't deviate from sound doctrine. Once you learn it, don't leave it. It's always Satan's desire to deceive you, to get you to leave sound doctrine, to get you to go in another direction so you move away from the protocol plan of God. And this is exactly what Timothy faced in 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20, when two men... Hymenaeus and Alexander moved away, began to teach something that was false and foreign. And lastly, never doubt God's timing and God's provision. It's always there and it's always perfect. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? Do you remember God telling them they'd have a child and them getting impatient? And do you remember Sarah saying, Abraham, since I'm not conceiving, why don't you go over there and have sex with Hagar, your handmaid, and she can give you a child. And he did. And out came Ishmael, the father of the Arab race today. My goodness, what would it have been like if he hadn't listened to Sarah, if he hadn't gone into Hagar and had a child? There wouldn't even be an Arab race today. God has a plan. He uses all things. They all come together. You must learn to plan. I hope I'm challenging you. I hope you're listening, and I hope you're growing.
Come back next Sunday, same time, same place. Until then, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.